Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode five, entitled Sleep. This is the first of three episodes I will be releasing this week, which I have entitled Practice and Performance Primers. Today's episode, in keeping with our podcast, is devoted to the parents of young artists. As usual, I'm going to be giving you real talk from all the perspectives, student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. We had an unbelievably positive response from our audience, and I want to take a moment to thank everyone. It is so heartwarming to know that parents all over the world are trying to learn more about how their role can evolve as a young artist grows into the advanced levels of training. I sincerely believe that these topics need to be addressed more directly and that it will serve everyone involved. I hope that by doing these episodes, I have opened up necessary dialogues for everybody. I call these episodes practice and performance primers because when these things align correctly in our lives and families, young artists simply thrive. Raising a young artist goes beyond a great teacher and making sure they are practicing enough. It is a full family commitment And these primer episodes serve to guide you in aligning your household with what I believe is the optimum learning environment for a talented young performer. This episode will be totally devoted to sleep and its vital role in the lives of young artists. So let's get started on episode five. I'm so excited about this podcast because I decided to really devote some time to research sleep And the data I found was so surprising to me, I found myself texting my husband repeatedly and sharing with friends and family. I'm also thrilled to say that some of the data I read backed up what I think the teacher and mom and performer in me already knew, but it also gave me a lot more information to implement in my life and hopefully pass on to others. At a certain point, I got so fascinated, I kind of fell down a rabbit hole of sleep information for the better part of a day, and I actually had to pull myself out of it. I think this happened because what I was reading rattled some of how I do things, and it challenged me to do differently and hopefully better. My husband and I had a family meeting over a few points of the research and are going to be implementing some changes around here, and that's pretty huge. Keep in mind, I've been parenting now while managing a career in music and teaching for over 20 years, so change was bound to happen with these basics at some point, I guess, but I still needed to be convinced because change is always hard, right? But with this kind of stuff, I like to think it is more about being thoughtful and tweaking small things. It's easy to implement a few new ideas that are simple but could also reap nice benefits for the whole family. And while I like to think the way we have been doing things has been working out pretty well, we are also open to the idea that we could do better. So what triggered me to research all of this stuff about sleep? I started doing some research lately on sleep because I noticed some very interesting things around Ava's focus and sleep patterns, and I wanted to learn more about it. I just had a feeling I needed to understand a few aspects of it more deeply so that I could really tailor things to her full potential. And it turns out my maternal instincts were on target. She's hitting that age where she will stay up reading once a later bedtime, 
and is getting harder to rustle out of bed in the morning. And that has triggered some memories of specific students of mine who have stuck out to me over the years. I know that they either slept a lot more or less than their peer group because their parents mentioned it in passing, and it came through in their work with me at times. It also came through in performances and competitions. Thankfully, it turns out there have been a lot of new studies on sleep and its effects on our abilities, and it's some really intriguing stuff. So here's the first thing I want to say to all of you, parent to parent and teacher to parents. They need enough sleep. This is not just my opinion. And I know from the time they were born, we've heard it from pediatricians, schools, relatives, but let's be honest, it's a fact and it's vital to them. And if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you have an exceptional kid And they're doing really impressive and difficult things with their brains and talent. That makes sleep even more paramount. If your kids are in elementary school, they need between 10 to 12 hours of sleep. And if they are in middle school to high school, they need 9 to 10 hours of sleep. I got these numbers by averaging what I found from several different sources, but they didn't really vary that much. Nobody with any authority on the subject seems to even believe that some children need less or can get by with less rest. These numbers look daunting to most parents I know. They're hard for me as well. I have had eight-year-old students whose parents have admitted to me that they get to bed at more like 9.30, 10, or later. And let's give them some credit. It isn't like they're lazing around or watching a show on TV. These parents are up with them doing practice or extra homework or driving them home in traffic from other activities. My own students traveled hours to get to me in D.C. Sometimes parents are getting home from work later and dinner is dragging on so that they can all eat together because eating together is something we have all read about and we know how important it can be to their development. With two parents working in most households nowadays, Parenting on a schedule is only getting harder, and with multiple kids, the complications are tenfold. My point is, most of us aren't ditching bedtime because we're being lax in our parenting. We're making a choice to prioritize something else instead. So this is why I think this podcast is important for some of us. In the interest of fairness, let me just share with you what our house of sleep looks like. Grab a cup of coffee, because some of it isn't pretty. I'll start with me. My own sleep habits aren't great. I have to work hard to get to sleep most nights because my brain seems to work overtime, especially now that I'm in my 40s, and especially now that I'm a mom. If I practice at night, it's worse. And a lot of times I have to practice at night because I'm busy with the kids and I'm also busy practicing with Ava. I wake up in the very early morning now too, like 4 a.m. for no reason, and sometimes I can't get back to sleep. Much to the amusement of my husband, recently I resorted to buying a weighted blanket, which honestly has helped a bit, but it's so heavy I have trouble getting it off of me in the morning because I'm so tired. Laughing at me yet? 
That's okay, so am I. That's enough of a snapshot on me, I think. My youngest daughter is a great sleeper, and we had that blessing with her very early on. But sometimes now she wakes at night from a nightmare or gets afraid of the dark, so she stumbles into our bed and then kicks us in her sleep for the rest of the night. That really helps me in my own sleep struggles, by the way. My young artist, Ava, we joke, hasn't slept since the day we brought her home from the hospital. I think she was faking it in the hospital so she could get back to our house. She had colic for several months, and we have always had strict bedtimes and bedtime routines in place for sheer survival. But somehow I suspect she's thwarting these now. After we leave her room at night, I catch her up late reading, and before big things, she admits she gets too excited to sleep. Not nervous, just excited, which is cute, but not helpful, let's be honest. My husband and I honestly had a conversation last week about putting a hidden cam in the kids' room to really figure out how naughty she actually is. Yes, you heard me, a hidden cam. So all of this is to tell you we are right here with you, the rest of the parents in the world, trying to figure out how to help our family get better sleep. The truth is, maybe we just all need a good reason to make changes, right? What are our main reasons now to prioritize sleep? I think a lot of us focus on how much sleep they get so that they're able to grow and stay healthy. But our kids are different, right? Because in addition to just growing and staying healthy, we are asking them to climb some very high musical mountains on top of everything else other kids do their ages. This requires a surplus of energy and laser focus. So here was my first important takeaway for parents of young artists in the research I did. It isn't just about the kids growing to their expected height and being able to fight off that cold that's going around school. Sleep deprivation hobbles them cognitively and emotionally in a way which can then have a domino effect. So for parents like us, this is about them having enough rest to function at their full potential so that they can participate in the experiences that one by one will lead them to their best lives. Yep, I actually believe that if you are cutting into your kids' sleep or haven't figured out a way to get them to follow bedtimes, you could be impacting things quite far down the line. Kind of like applying chaos theory or the butterfly effect to future auditions or big musical opportunities. One thing leads to another. One audition, one connection, one performance. Everything they carry emotionally and musically goes with them, influencing the next thing that happens day to day, month to month, conservatory year to the next conservatory year. It's like a mosaic which is ever-growing. Think about it in your own lives even now. You might have a great day lined up, but if you are sleep deprived, you can't fully interact or respond to things in the same way. And with cause and effect, the day can start spinning really differently. The movie Groundhog Day comes to mind. But what if you spun this into a week or a month or a whole conservatory year? 
So how are parents, myself included at times, justifying to themselves subpar sleep conditions for these young artists? I hinted at a few a minute or so, but let's add to them here. And heads up, this is going to start linking up with my next podcast on overscheduling, so stay tuned for that podcast, which I'm releasing midweek. Here are some more justifications I have heard from parents and a few I have felt myself as a parent over the years. Some parents delay sleep because they feel they need more time to fit in more activities. These are things that they believe are somehow more beneficial to them in the long run, like an extra bit of instruction or more studying to ace that exam. And maybe once in a while is a different subject entirely. So let's table the idea of extra studying for an exam right now. But in high school, there are a lot of tests. So I do believe that once you become comfortable with a kid getting very little sleep in order to study, it can become a habit every week, very easily. Parents also feel they're having to compromise schedules to suit the needs of other people in the house, such as a sibling who has swim or something else scheduled requiring all of the kids to get up at once. One schedule impacts another, and before you know it, everyone is slightly compromised. See how I used that word compromised? Sometimes compromise isn't a great thing. Or how about when the kids just stay up late to visit with a parent who returns home late from work on a regular basis? This could be due to lots of things like commutes. Morning time wake up is not able to be adjusted though. So sometimes in some families in my studio, this might be a parent that's coming home late who is also a practice parent. So the practice was also happening at night. In some cases, kids are genuinely suffering from what could be a sleep disorder or some sort of unresolved anxiety. And this is treatable, but you just haven't gotten around to taking action yet. Maybe you need to talk to your pediatrician, or maybe you just need to talk to some other parents about what they're doing in the same scenarios. I think for a lot of parents, technology is keeping your kids up. Blue lights on screens are stimulating them at all hours with text messages and alerts. Even the households that I know who have ample rules set in place about no cell phones after a certain hour or in the bedrooms, they still have homework, and homework is being done on a screen which uses blue light right up until bedtime, sometimes still accessing Facebook or other messenger services just because they're inside the computer. Blue lights necessitate a long cool-down period for the body to get ready for sleep mode. And while I tabled the occasional test and cramming, There's still homework to contend with. The sheer volume of homework seems to be on the rise. Kids are staying up later and later to get it done or study. So let's have some real talk and then talk about some of these justifications for a bit. As I said, kids in middle school need nine to 10 hours of sleep on the average, but their melatonin levels are starting to change. And so by high school, They naturally don't even feel the need to sleep until later, sometimes until 11 p.m. Boom, you already have a battle on your hands without even getting into that list of justifications I just went over. That is why your teenager actually seems more awake at midnight than at dinner 
and left alone would probably sleep until 10 or 11 in the morning. This is the normal rhythm for 15 to 22-year-olds. Effectively, they are in a different time zone than the rest of us. Younger teens who don't get enough sleep are also more likely to be inattentive, impulsive, hyperactive, and oppositional. That goes for my eight-year-old, too. How is that contributing to their music lessons or rehearsals or performances? For us, that just creates a vicious circle, necessitating more practice time because she didn't really internalize the information the first time, or extra lessons and rehearsals because she wasn't really on point at the first set. But let's be clear, lack of sleep has more than just the cognitive and emotional effects which we will be talking about today. It has life or death risks attached, especially with teens driving. In studies conducted at Brown University, I read that half the teens evaluated were so tired in the morning that they showed the same symptoms as patients with narcolepsy. Um, That's the major sleep disorder in which the patient nods off and falls directly into REM sleep. And to make matters more alarming, it also ups their chances for depression by a staggering amount, even increasing the risks of suicidal thoughts. While we are going to be centering our podcast on why sleep is so important to young artists, these are serious issues which also deserve your thought. Fact is, there are a ton of kids around us not sleeping enough for a multitude of reasons. The way I see it, though, it is a combination of biology, technology, and societal expectations that are keeping these families and their kids up and making them sleep-deprived. And here's the clincher. I also don't think we understand the immense power sleep can have in their studies. Sleep is good for them and for their success. By the end of this podcast, I am hoping you will see it. Keep listening. In one of the articles I read, a leading child and adolescent psychiatrist was quoted as saying that the typical high school student's natural time to fall asleep is 11 p.m. or later, so we really need to adjust the environment instead of asking teenagers to adjust their physiology. Fair enough, I guess. But you know what that means. It's basically on us. So what can we do to motivate ourselves to make the efforts necessary to adjust their environments? because it seems pretty clear that if left to their own devices, pun intended, teens will likely be walking around on five hours of sleep or less. Let me get back to some of our justifications and see if I can debunk a few of them. If I go over just a few of them with you, I'm hoping that it can get some conversations and thoughts flowing. As an example, Let's say you have decided to cut into your kid's bedtime because the only time available for an amazing tutor to come and work on advanced math is later in the evening. I've actually done this for rehearsals with great pianists, too. You think to yourself, well, this will give my kid an edge in the long haul, so if they miss sleep, I can justify it for now. You can't adjust their times in the morning, so they will just have to miss an hour or two that night every week, possibly for the year. Bottom line is, you're trying to help them get ahead in math, and this could help them with big standardized tests, some of which will secure their place in the right schools later on. 
Believe me when I say, I hear you. But by doing this, you have now removed one to two hours of sleep from them on that night every week, which will then affect the experiences they have on the following day for the whole year. Note that I said it will affect the experiences. I say this because the amount of sleep they get can affect how they interact and how they respond, which then leads to different experiences. Can you make sure that life doesn't unexpectedly deliver them a pivotal opportunity on the following weekday ever throughout the year? Because that day, or at least a portion of it, could be cognitively impaired for them. Let's look at what I mean by that. In one of the other articles I read, a professor of neurology at UCLA stated that they discovered that starving the body of sleep also robs neurons and their ability to function properly. It turns out lack of sleep makes your brains go slower. Neurons don't fire the same way, and lack of sleep over time can even make certain parts of the brain upon examination appear to still be sleeping causing lapses of memory. Ever had that sudden panic that you can't remember a relative's birthday or a certain date, like a hole has been drilled into your memory? This is now being said to be sleep deprivation. It also affects how you respond to visuals and other senses and the rate with which you can process them. This is why people have car accidents while sleep impaired. How does this affect music making? particularly music making with other people. So if you're fully committed to that extra math activity happening on Wednesday night, we need to hope that nothing crucial ever happens on Thursday morning at the very least. But the whole day will be slower. These are just a few of my thoughts meant to get you thinking and talking, because we all do the best we can, really. Like I said, Ava is not a good sleeper, and she never has been. When I say that to people who love her, they look at me like I've said something kind of unfair to her. Like, oh, come on, she's so precious. I'm sure she's adorable in her sleep. But seriously, she's a really unreliable sleeper. That's not taking away from all of her other very lovable qualities. Sleep is sleep, folks. I've really tried my best to help her get regular sleep, but I'm pretty sure she's on a mission right now to just thwart my best efforts because in this stage of her life, she's basically testing everything. Now that she's giving more concerts, my husband and I have resorted to trying to reason with her if she has something we know about the next day to make sure she gets deep sleep. Usually this works now because she's starting to finally see my perspective on things. I don't mind telling you, I tried this last year too, and it did me no good whatsoever. So I seem to have gained some traction on convincing her for important nights before things. But what about the really pivotal experiences I don't know about after nights where she has chosen to stay up unbeknownst to me? I can't really help her with those. Maybe we do need that secret cam. Sometimes when I think about those days... All I can do is think, well, I'm doing everything I know, so I just have to be okay with that. But here's where I know too much. I know as a musician and as a former conservatory student that things just pop up out of nowhere. 
You need to be able to deliver not just an open mind and readiness to learn game face, but you also need to sometimes be able to perform at a high level on no notice at all. Major careers have literally erupted from last minute engagements and performances. But even on a smaller scale, significantly important things can happen on very little notice in a young person's artistic life. You won't know when they are going to happen, so you can only hope you are living out your best practice at the time and that you're, you guessed it, well-rested. And maybe this might be the thing that should convince people to review their sleep decisions in their house. Everyone has to have that breakthrough moment where they get to the point they know they need to just reconsider things. When a surprise opportunity comes up and you just aren't in the right mental state to give it your best shot, it certainly can give you pause. Here's a fun story from my Paris days that I like to tell to demonstrate this to my students. When I was a student in Paris, I was incredibly disciplined. I was definitely a card-carrying violin nerd. There were a lot of pressures on me constantly, and I was performing on the radio and TV shows representing both myself and the conservatory. There wasn't a lot of room for thoughts about enjoying the Paris nightlife. I'm sure people back home thought this move to Paris was super glam, but in reality, I was living on Dale Brie and keeping my practice schedule up in a way that I would never see the likes of again. The whole first year was spent in kind of a white heat panic, trying to adjust to a new language, a new culture, all new people. It just took me a while to find my bearings. By my second year there, I finally met a group of students I clicked with. It happened rather gradually because, again, I wasn't out and about very much, but they were a really nice bunch of conservatory kids, and they liked me, and I was grateful to have some company between my practice sessions. Little by little, they started asking me to go out in the evening for some fun. I managed to say no for quite a while before they convinced me that I was only going to live once and they just wanted to show me some of the Paris fun. Possibly because I had said no so many times previously to this, they ended up having a whole list of places to share with me once I gave in. The night I finally went out, one place led to another and by midnight, Even though I had a lesson with my notably strict teacher the next day, I found myself throwing all caution to the wind. After all, I thought, I've been so disciplined for so long. My teacher was incredibly difficult at times, and I had devoted myself to learning and putting my whole life on hold for the violin. I certainly deserved one night. I had so much fun that night and I ended up staying with a girlfriend at the conservatory in the dorms. We pulled an all-nighter, talking and giggling. I think we even made chocolate crepes. Stumbling around on little to no sleep, I remember thinking with a sort of twisted delight that my teacher would have to deal with me looking like the cat dragged me in. He had a thing about hair always being up and away from the face so that it wouldn't get caught under the violin, but I had brought nothing with me, and I had long, crazy hair at the time. 
So sure enough, in the clothes I wore to rehearsal with him the day before, I showed up to my lesson, bedhead and all, on no sleep the next morning. As I showed up at the studio, he immediately bristled at my appearance, but he flickered quickly from angry to concerned and said, are you okay? Instantly, I was embarrassed, but then I flickered right back, indignant. Who was he to question me like I didn't deserve one night of fun? I was clearly still sleep-deprived. Loosen up, I thought. But then I rounded the corner and heard him say, The head of the Shanghai Conservatory is here today, and I have arranged for him to hear you play. Do you have your Waxman score with you? So there I was, no sleep, playing for someone important, having not showered, on one of the hardest pieces in the literature. I remember thinking that the universe must really hate me at this point. I think I played okay that day, but honestly, I don't remember. I comfort myself even to this day by thinking, well, I would remember it if it had been catastrophic, but I don't remember anything triumphant either. Not exactly the Carmen fantasy we have all been waiting for. I also had no result from that meeting. I don't know what my teacher was shooting for in having me play for him, and I never did find out. There was not a negative outcome, but the fact is, there was no outcome at all. Sometimes I wonder what that night I spent in Paris cost me. I've had this type of thing happen to me many times since. I like to think I've gained a lot through that experience, though, and for the most part, I feel I've arranged my life so that I can perform or be present for surprise opportunities. You just never know what's right around the corner. All right, let's get down to the nitty-gritty now. Maybe some of you are still not convinced you need to take a second look at your sleep. I might not have been either until this next part. For the rest of the podcast today, I'm going to detail for you what you can accomplish in your sleep. And I'm going to talk about how to position your practice for maximum productivity around that newly inspired sleep we are all going to be getting. I'm on a quest today to convince you to rethink your sleep, so let's talk about some of the data I uncovered that blew my mind in these last few weeks. Here we go. I had five major epiphanies from my research. Number one, the body will reactivate newly acquired knowledge overnight and even has the capacity to actually solve issues or achieve new insights on technical issues still in process on our technique. Ever had the feeling things get better overnight? That's because they actually do. Ava is fascinated by this, and she's just started verbalizing it. She'll say, wow, I was having so much trouble with that yesterday, and for some reason it is much better now. I like to take a moment to really pique her curiosity on this now, because it can benefit us in many ways. I say things to her like, well, yeah, that's why I try and get you to bed every night. I know that sleep is going to work for you. Or... See, this is why I don't like it when I catch you up at night fooling around instead of sleeping. So maybe some of us knew this already, 
but you don't get this benefit without deep sleep happening. So four to five hours are not going to cut it. And the part I think most people aren't completely tapped into is the ability to solve issues, troubleshooting things that have been plaguing us in our practice. I swear I've woken up from sleep and suddenly knew exactly how to fix something that had been eating up all of my practice before. And the solutions sometimes have been mind-bogglingly subtle. Like, oh my goodness, I bet I just have to turn my elbow in just a little and then it will work. Or maybe I just need to press a little lighter with that finger. Could that be true? It would be like a miracle. And then I grab the violin and whammo, problem solved. This isn't actually a miracle. It's the miracle of your brain having had sleep. On to epiphany number two and three. These both were awesome game changers for us. These two chunks of knowledge will influence where you position your practice sessions in accordance with when your body can best acquire new information and also when it will naturally reactivate trouble spots, achieving progress while you're at rest. Most parents haven't even thought about this in a concrete way. They just fit in practice as they can, and they do try and make sure their kid is rested and fed, and they're thinking about keeping them focused and on point, but to me, this is a totally different level of thinking. So here we go. Epiphany number two for me was this. Optimal placement for practicing new materials or skills is within a few hours of being awake. According to this data, if you position your practice in the morning or after you have rested, the body is more elastic and ready to receive new information. A fluid learner is a beautiful thing. If you do this, then many of you will be naturally also tapping into spaced repetition practice, which I discussed in the earlier practice pod episodes. So you're practicing the new materials and skills in the morning when the body is most elastic and rested to receive it. And then there will be a natural space, probably during school hours, which serves to relax that information so it can improve in the next scheduled session. Because according to research, hitting it over and over again like a broken record apparently does us very little good after the skill has been achieved a few times. If you missed the podcast on practice, please go search for it now or Google spaced repetition so you can really take advantage of it. It is such a time saver and it, it actually allows you to use your body for optimal learning and progress. On to epiphany number three. Epiphany number three is that based on data, it appears we should be positioning a practice to review the hardest things before bed or rest so that you can optimize the sleeping period of reactivation. Reactivating is the body actually repeating what it has been doing in practice while it sleeps, and it explains why things can sometimes be magically repaired and better in the morning. It's almost like you're practicing while sleeping. So here, some of us parents have been keeping kids up to practice at night when really, maybe what we should have them do is a short recap of those harder zones of their pieces help them relax, and then let them practice in their sleep. Believe me when I say, we're trying this at my house. If these studies are correct, your kid hardly needs to be sleep-deprived at all. You could apply this to homework too if you're willing to get strategic there as well. But wait, that's not all sleep can do during the reactivation period, because guess what? 
The brain is capable of not just sleep practicing by reactivation, but also actually troubleshooting and triggering insightful problem solving during sleep. So you could wake up to solutions to long-standing trouble spots if you can strategize the position of your practice and prioritize deep sleep. For example, you could form a hit list and put the harder stuff that is plaguing you in practice within a few hours of falling asleep, and your brain will try and solve it, essentially troubleshooting it while you're sleeping. I had to read this a few times for it to really sink in so I could put it to use. But I have had this happen, so it resonated as truth for me after many years of practice. I actually have had solutions occur to me after sleep or relaxation periods. For our family, this means I'm going to be swapping around how I do practice with Ava after school. We usually hit the harder, more reticent technical stuff in our first mini session after school. We kind of do practice bursts together on most weekdays after homework and snack. Then, as dad gets home, we do a run-through and a light review of something easy so that we end the day happy. But based on the data that we've read, we're going to reverse these practices so that her body is primed to go over the hard stuff in reactivation mode while sleeping. And hopefully, we'll even do some unraveling of the things that have been causing roadblocks so that we're open to new insights the following day. I'm going to keep the fundamental work in the morning because it's always worked for us, but I'm also going to make sure that new materials and skill sets are in that session because this is where her body is most fluid to acquiring new information and skills. I am so psyched about this knowledge because it doesn't mean we were going to be practicing more it means we will be practicing smarter and letting our bodies work optimally for us. Just remember to get those bedtimes to line up consistently. It won't be enough for them to just sleep because if they aren't getting enough sleep, especially deep sleep, you're cutting the body's natural ability to reactivate things. Okay, moving on to number four. The fourth bit of research that really interested me was about acquisitional cues. Here is something that is really easy to try out, and it kind of sounds fascinating to me. There's brand new data out with evidence that certain cues will promote reactivation of the newly acquired information. The study they detailed had to do with sense. Well, we use a diffuser in our house, and I'm now, after reading this, going to run that specific oil in my diffuser in practice, and also in their room at night. I'm going to land firmly in the camp of, that sounds so crazy, but I'm willing to try this because, hey, it can't hurt. If I can run the same oil during her practice as I do at night, maybe the information that she learned in practice will reactivate more easily because I'm cueing it. And it's an easy thing to implement. Stay tuned on this. These things are right up my alley because they're super simple to try, and if they really make a difference, I'm going to feel like a parenting rock star over here. Okay, to wrap it up, let's get to my fifth epiphany from the sleep studies I researched. This one also was from recent studies, but it appears we are capable of learning brand new information in our sleep. The studies I read referred to people learning new languages As musicians, I would assume this could be music playing in your child's bedroom at night and that they could get a head start on new repertoire. 
This kind of makes me think about those studies I read years ago stating that active listening of the Suzuki CDs produced the same results in children as inactive listening. So you didn't need to sit them in front of the CD and tell them to listen and study. They could just be around the house doing other things, not really actively listening at all, and it still did the same trick. My husband and I talked at length about this one. I mean, if the data I read is true, and it is fairly new data, by the way, so not many people are talking about it yet, you could learn a new language in your sleep. That seems pretty radical. Well, in my view, music is a language too, so why not load up that iPad with your kid's new literature for the night? But wait, aren't they also supposed to be practicing their current lit and reactivating all of those trouble spots? Oh, that's right. Well, luckily there are many hours in the night, so here's my current plan. Ava's playlist of music only takes an hour to play through for her current repertoire. So there's lots of room in the night for new repertoire in there as well. I'm planning on developing an iTunes playlist and using some of the ocean wave sounds we used to use when they were little to try and get her to sleep. I might put that track on repeat a few times in the playlist just to be sure she goes into dreamland. And then I'm going to follow it with her current repertoire and then her new repertoire. And because I can't help myself, I might order her repertoire so that it doesn't start with the most jarring, energetic ones because it is a bit hard for me to imagine her sleeping through tambourine chinois, okay? But I can see her sleeping during the Inescu Ballada pretty easily. I will have the whole thing on low volume and hope for the best. Unless this keeps her up, I can't really see the harm in trying. And yes, I will have the diffuser pulling the same scent from her practice time. Here's the good news. If we start these habits now and they work, or even if some of them work, we will gain more efficacy and they will need less practice hours in the long run. Retention will be higher, so this means less repetitive practice because stuff is sticking. That makes for happy practicers. And it will lead to more time to live life. Using the big picture perspective, leading life, real life, gets us better artists for stage who can relate to their audience, forming connections with them through their music that have a lasting effect. To me, this is the power of humanity and connection. This is beyond creating a sleep routine. This is strategizing practice around what we know about the power of sleep, because it turns out that sleep is a lot more powerful than I ever knew. Maybe using what we know about sleep will keep us from over-practicing and allow the body what it really needs to function the next day, which is adequate rest. Here's some bonus info that is super easy to implement, which segues nicely into our next podcast, which will be about overscheduling. It turns out both naps and relaxation time are restorative as well. And naps aren't just for the little kids, so this could be for your middle schooler or your teen too. That nap they want to take after a long music lesson or rehearsal could lead to faster progress than if you rush them to another thing right away. It can even trigger some of the reactivation benefits we talked about earlier, particularly the ability to form insights and troubleshoot. I'm going to mention this again in the next podcast about overscheduling. 
That podcast will go into great detail, but here's a teaser, since as I said, the sleep episode and the overscheduling episode do go hand in hand. Let them sleep in the car or leave some space to rest after their rehearsals or lessons. If you're racing from one activity to another, this doesn't allow them to function at the highest level for learning things deeply. If you look at your schedule and see you are eliminating most downtime to adhere to a packed schedule, you are greatly impacting the plane of intelligence they need to use, which taps into fluid thinking, intuition, insight, troubleshooting. And here's the thing. The teacher in me just chimed in. At this level of training, you absolutely need these things. It isn't just about retaining information. In virtuosic training, we rely so heavily on natural instincts, insight, fluid thinking, the ability to solve problems and create spontaneous beauty. As a judge of competitions, it can make the difference on stage between the kid who plays solid and is really great and the one that I really want to hear again. So let them nap and let them find truly relaxed states in their free time. Long walks, showers, reading, anything that gets them relaxed. Just remember, not iPads, games, or blue lights, though, because that's stimulation, not relaxation. I know, I've made the same mistake. So join me midweek for the next podcast where we will talk about the topic teachers have spoken to me about the most. That topic, you guessed it, it's overscheduling. It never fails. If I ask a teacher or colleague what their biggest complaint is in teaching these days, it's the scheduling or the overscheduling of our kids. This is a hot button topic, but I urge you to join me on rethinking this one. I'm devoted to getting people thinking in brand new ways about how to achieve the highest level training possible in classical music. It is the thing I've committed most of my adult life to, and I want to share everything I know to fill our stages with your kids in the future. Thank you for listening, and I hope that this episode opens up some very useful dialogues in your house and with your teachers. It definitely triggered some thoughts over here in our house. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect. <laughs>